Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel chapter number 10. 2 Samuel chapter number 10. The location of the text is between probably the highest point in the Old Testament and the lowest point in the Old Testament. I um, thank the Lord for this morning. What a tremendous morning it was. And my battery was getting charged and I was ready to, I I didn't start out this morning ready to preach, but then, buddy, there was a 3-2 pitch count with Brother Oswalt and he hit a home run. Then after that, Brother Epps, he always charges my battery when he preaches and I was ready to go then. And then, uh, Brother, um, Brother, um, oh, yeah, Brother Terry, he, um, he preached a message so close to mine, I looked at mine and said, well, it's not time for me to preach. And then after Brother Green preached, I said, boy, I'm glad I wasn't preaching. Amen. Man, what a day. What a morning. It was as fine a morning this morning as I've enjoyed in a long time. And I was blessed and helped by the Lord, including last night. And then what a great crowd here this evening uh, in the arbor under the tabernacle and I don't know, I'm sure it wasn't, it's maybe not as big as it was last night, but I didn't get to view it from up here last night, but a very good crowd tonight, amen, tremendous crowd, and I praise the Lord for that. Every pastor, I encourage you to bring your people and come and be a part of the meeting two times a year, come on and and be a part of it, and put it in your budget. Uh, schedule a, a, a love offering for the camp. And uh, that's what we do. Uh, we'll do that before we leave here. We'll have a love offering from our church that we'll give to the camp. And uh, I encourage you to do that as well. I'm excited about uh, uh, the remodeling that will go on in just a few months. And uh, that will be an encouragement to all of us under the arbor uh, for that. That is if the Lord tarries is coming. If he doesn't, then we're out of here. Amen. And uh, that's what I want to preach about tonight a little bit. Now, I want to say also a word about the camp in regard to my own personal testimony. And uh, I had the privilege of rejoicing in the Lord audibly for the first time in this place as a teenager. And I'm thankful for the wonderful memories that God has given me in this place. And then I want to say this too. I'm thankful for my daddy. There is not a man of God that has been more in regard to being for this place and doing what he could to encourage his people, I'd encourage others to be in this camp meeting over the years. There may be somebody that's his equal, but there's nobody better than him in regard to encouraging that. And uh, I tell you this, I'm so thankful that my dad showed us a balanced Christian life. We never got over in one ditch or the other ditch. When my dad was going to Tabernacle Baptist Bible college under Dr. Seitler, he was called a rice boy because of Dr. John R. Rice. We got to hear some of the greatest preaching in all the world when I was a boy. Got to hear Dr. E.J. Daniels, 
Got to hear Brother Lester Olaf. Got to hear uh, Dr. R.G. Lee. Got to hear Dr. Bill Rice. Got to hear some of the greatest preaching. And the preachers in shoe leather got to hear, of course, being at Tabernacle, Brother Mays Jackson, on and on we could go. And God has been so good to us. And there's been those that flipped in, flipped out, been on one side of the ditch or on the other. And yet my dad still here tonight. Amen. And because of that, 12 preachers counting in the family and about eight of them pastors. Amen. I'm glad that my dad didn't wobble on the shaft like Brother Mays Jackson always said. Amen. And I'm glad. And the reason why I'm here today, tonight is because of the love of God's man and uh, for this place. And uh, that was before uh, Brother Randy's time, but it all, also was before my time. I finally got on board. And uh, over these years, we've really enjoyed being in this place over the years. And the Lord has certainly blessed our family and uh, in such a wonderful and marvelous way. Every time I preach the word of God, I'm reminded of the fact that dad has a part in the reward that I will receive. And not only that, but uh, there's enough youngs around here we could have a meeting. Amen. There's some preachers around here. And it's not because of anything that we're, we're great at doing, that's for sure, because uh, we never use the word pride in our family. We always use the word thankful. Amen. I never call my children godly. I let others call my children godly. I didn't because I didn't know whether they was godly or not. They just did what I said. Amen. But I'm glad for the goodness of God and the heritage of God. And I'm saying all that to say this, this camp meeting is a part of that heritage. And I'll tell you this, I see Brother Rose and, and others that have children and they're coming up. Thank God for this place, for the young people to be a part of this place. And I'm telling you, don't get away from it. And you pastors that bring your young people in, thank God for you. They will get help this week. They'll get stirred and strengthened by the hand of God during these days, I guarantee you. Amen. Second Samuel and chapter number 10. If you would please stand for the reading of God's word. If time would permit, I'd read the whole of the chapter, but I'm going to remain primarily in this chapter, but I want to read down to uh, verse number five. The Bible says, and it came to pass after this that the king of the children of Ammon died, and Hanan his son reigned in his stead. Then said David, I will show kindness unto Hanan the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness unto me. And David sent to comfort him by the hand of his servants for his father. And David's servants came into the land of the children of Ammon. And the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanan their lord, Thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father, that he has sent comforters unto thee? Hath not David rather sent his servants unto thee to search the city 
and to spy it out and to overthrow it. Wherefore, Hanan took David's servants and shaved off the one half of their beards and cut off their garments even or in the middle, even to their buttocks and sent them away. When they told it unto David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Terry, at Jericho until your beards be grown and then return. I want to preach for a little while on this thought. The heart of the ambassadors. The heart of the ambassador. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for the precious word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the singing, the testimony of the saints of God. Thank you, Lord, for the encouragement here in this place. We bless your name. Thank you, Lord, for your servant that you used years ago. And thank you, Lord, for the great memory of Brother Allen. And Lord, our heart beats for the precious man of God. And we look forward to that reunion day. Then, Lord, we thank you for Brother Randy. Lord, thank you for the love that you've given in his heart and in this church. And Lord, the carrying on of the work of God in a mighty and a marvelous way. And I look at the crowd tonight and realize that in the last moment of the last days, it is a miracle to what we see tonight in this place. And it's because of the faithful, loving people of God, the remnant that still desires to serve you, worship you, and live for thee. I pray thy will be done, Lord. Help us by the precious Holy Ghost to exalt the Savior tonight in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing in respect to the Word of God. Several years ago, I preached on the life of David, but I did something different. I did not preach on the uh, verse-by-verse thought of David, but I preached on the hearts that were involved in the life of David. And I had a message some years ago here in the camp that I preached along those lines. But tonight, I want us to look at an unusual passage of Scripture. But I believe as you expound the verses, it is of great importance in regard to typology. In chapters number 8, 9, and 10 is the conclusion of a great ministry of David before he falls into sin in chapter number 11. And we know that David is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it behooves us to look at the last setting before chapter number 11. In chapter number 8, we find if you have a Schofield reference Bible, It says the full establishment of David's kingdom. In chapter number 8 is a picture of Calvary. In chapter number 8, we find that David, first of all, in verse number 1, takes care of the largest population of Philistia. 
The very mother city is conquered. The greatest of populations are conquered under David's watch and over his power. And in verse number 2, we find that Moab now is involved. And in Moab, David puts forth a line. And he has two lines. And on one side of this line is that of death. On the other side is that of life. And Moab was his arch enemy. And it is said by historians that quite possibly the Moabites killed his own parents, David's parents, Jesse and David's mother because Moab was supposed to take care of David's family. And David in this text rises up in anger and he marks the ground. But when he does, the Bible says he gives more deference to his enemies that are on one side of the line in order to live. And in mercy, he gives his enemies that he was supposed to hate, he gave unto them more love and more mercy. And when David drew that line, he allowed more to be on the side of life than that of death. Then the Bible says in verse number three, he becomes over the whole known world. Hadarezer is trying to go and conquer on the other side of the river Euphrates and David seizes that opportunity and the known world is conquered by David in chapter number 8. There is the example of glowing protection that takes place for the people of God. Then we find right in the heart of that verse number 9 there's a king of Hamath the word Hamath means a wall. And the king toy means an error or an abomination. And he looks at David and in love and admiration gives unto David gifts because Hadarezer, who is by the way, the magnificent one is what his name means. And he's been working against this king toy day in and day out. And he said, thank you, David, for whipping my enemy. And he'll never be my enemy again. Thank God for Calvary. Thank God, though I was an enemy. And though Satan was wearing us out, I'm glad that David stepped in and whipped the enemy. I'm glad that the Savior won the battle. And the word Hamath, meaning a wall, the Lord broke down the walls of separation and reconciled us to the Father and condemnation has been removed. And this king toy, he says, thank God I'll keep giving you gifts as long as I live because of what you did for me. Chapter number 8 and verse number 13, we find that David has a name that is above every name. Everywhere he goes, the Lord has made a name for David. Everybody knows who David is. And because of Calvary, whether you're saved or not, the world knows who Jesus is. But then I find... After Calvary in chapter number 8 and the victory and the spoils of chapter 8, we come to chapter 9. We get to chapter 9. 
that which is general and that which is broad in the invitation, God brings it down to an individual by the name of Mephibosheth. And there's a foreordained question that David asked. He said, is there any of Jonathan's house that I, or any of, of Saul's house that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? That's the reason why the Savior went to Calvary is to show kindness so that I, guilty, I, a result of the fall, might be brought in to the family of God and sit at the table of Christ and be fed as we're being fed in these days. But then I come to chapter number 10. What stood out to me that caused me to look at chapter 10 was what was said in chapter 9 that was the word kindness. In chapter number 10, the word is repeated. In chapter 9, he says that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. 9 and verse 1. But in verse number 2, David doesn't say to find someone that I may show kindness to. He said, I will show kindness. You that are students of the word of God know that the word kindness in the Old Testament is the same word for grace. I want to show grace. And so in this text, it is not David that gets the invitation, the uh, the emphasis is on David. In chapter 9, the emphasis is on David and his kindness to Mephibosheth. But in chapter number 10, it is the ambassadors that receive all the emphasis. The Lord looks at his people and they're the ones emphasized in chapter number 10. Now, if we look at chapter 8 as Calvary, Chapter number nine is the work of the Holy Ghost through that of Zeba. We find in chapter number 10, we find the work of the saints before we leave this world. Now, I want to show you something right quickly. First of all, there is the result of sin. In, in verse number two, they're showing kindness because a death has taken place. There is a sin problem in chapter number 10. And sin has produced death. And so David is sending his ambassadors to show kindness because of a sin problem because of the production of death. The Bible says that we're alienated from the life of God until we got saved. But when God saved us, he sent us back into this world for those that also have a sin problem and are suffering the results of death. But not only that, but I find that there is a sin problem. But then there is the response of sympathy. In verse number two, and David sent to comfort him. Verse number three, and he hath sent comforters. 
What is the work of the Holy Ghost? He is known as the Comforter. So though there was a sin problem, though there is a death involved, thank God for the work of the Spirit of God that works in our lives as believers as we send the message of showing the kindness of the Father as ambassadors for Him. Why would you show kindness to a heathen group? You know what this crowd would do? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter number 11, verses number one and two, they conquered their crowd, the crowd and what they did with the, their enemy is they gouged out every man's right eye. They didn't mind suffering if they could make you suffer. And we're living an hour as ambassadors that we're hated even one who's just conservative, who doesn't even believe in the Jesus that we preach, even they are hated because of the truth that they stand for. We're showing kindness in this hour to a group of folks that hate us and despise us and they would behead us or they'd put us in jail or they'd whip us or they'd shoot us in the head if they got their opportunity to do so. And yet God has put us in this place to show kindness for Jesus' sake. We are an ambassador. Now I want to go further. Now watch this. Number three, I find the readiness of the servants. They're willing to obey the king. I say this, the main characters in this text are you. The main characters in this text are these ambassadors. Tonight, you're a part of being an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ before the Lord is gonna take us out of here. I'm coming to that in just a moment. Kindness was found in the ones to whom the king sent. For there was no objection on the part of these men to go and tell. The expectation of the king tonight is for you and for me to go and to tell and to be a witness. I don't know if this is a camp meeting message. Maybe it gets that way before we get out of here. I'm just telling you this. God, by his marvelous grace, has put us in a position before we get out of here to pluck some brands out of the burning. We're living in a day where we've seen wickedness overtake our land. You know what the thing is said all the time? Well, we just get, got to get down there to the grassroots again. Well, everybody's got to start getting on the school board. Got to get on the city council and county commissioners. What are we doing? We're starting all over again what the church of the living God should have been doing in capturing their town and their city for the Lord. We're looking now for an influence that was lost by God's people. One Saturday morning, I was out knocking on doors. And I was 
Of all things, listen to NPR. Why? I don't know. But I just happened to have it on. And there was some woman worth millions of dollars and she had probably eight or 9,000 people she was speaking to in a great business conclave. And she said, we're living in the internet age and we're living in the texting and the Twitter age. And she said this, but as far as your business is concerned, there will be nothing that will ever take the place of face-to-face personal confrontation in regard to your business. We have forgotten to be an ambassador. If I could stir a pastor tonight to go back to his city, to go back to his town, and there's those that say, well, I want my mem- this member to run for mayor. That's good, no problem with that. But while you do it, go soul winning. Why you do it, win somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ. The influence of the church would stand in the community if we would be ambassadors. Now let me say something about the text because I got ahead of myself, but that's fine. These ambassadors never get to do what they want to do that were sent, they were sent for. You know why they didn't get to do it? Because the world said no to them. It didn't stop them from wanting to do it. They had the king's heart in their heart. They were going to please the king. They would have never gone to enemy territory had it not been that they knew that they had the decree. They knew that they had the words of kindness. They knew they had the message of hope. They knew they could encourage that crowd. And yet they rejected them. Now I want to show you what the world said about these ambassadors and what should be said about us tonight. Now watch this in the text. We find the sin problem and the spirits work, but the servants obey and they try to show kindness. But then I find number four, that the saints are shamed. And the reason why they're shamed is because someone said some things in verse number three that are recorded. And this is what was said about these men. To search the city, to spy it out, to overthrow it. Now, listen. Nobody among this group believed that David came for that reason. He had showed kindness before. To Hanan's daddy. He did not come to start a row. He did not come to conquer. That crowd that was saying what they said was misrepresenting the king of Israel. David wanted to show kindness and they turned it around. When we... As God's people walk with the Lord and try to tell others about Christ, the 
they misunderstand and they misrepresent the God of glory and his desire to show kindness. Amen. Amen. I want you to see these things and you mark them in your Bible if you'd like and underline and make some notes. First of all, they're accused of searching the city. What it means to search the city is to come into everybody's homes. Stay with me now. They're accused of wanting to get, any, get into everybody's house. The Bible said that the disciples in Acts daily, house to house, folks were getting saved every day. Jerusalem was turned upside down by the church of the living God because the ambassadors were going house to house. The world says they want to come into our house. It's the reason why they have the screen door locked on Saturday morning. It's the reason why they're, sh they're hiding and shading from you over in the kitchen somewhere and just getting ready until you get finished at 10.30 and you leave. Not only did they say they've come to come in our houses, but then number two, and to spy it out. The word spy is an interesting word. Brother Leland, it means to walk a lie along somebody in fellowship in according to getting some answers. What you do at the gas station when you're pumping that fuel and the Holy Ghost of God says, pull out that gospel track and say to them, do you know that Jesus loves you? They want to come to where we're at and they're going to find out what we think. They're going to come and ask us questions. Spy us out in their fellowship. The world knows this is what the ambassadors are supposed to be doing. But when they do it, they're going to do it for kindness sake. The grace of God that they have experienced in their life. But watch this. The Bible says, and they've come to overthrow it. The word overthrow means to change everything. So they want to come in our houses, fellowship with us a while, find out some answers to questions they're going to have to give us, and then they're trying to change us. Hallelujah. I wish as an ambassador I would meet the expectations of the king in such a way that I don't take the Christian life as a vacation, but I take the Christian life as a vocation and a calling by Almighty God. If I am going to be fishers of men in this hour, it is that you capture men by the truth and by the Word of God. Thank God for Him allowing us to be an ambassador. But how were they treated? Terribly. 
They were shamed. They were misused. They were ridiculed. They were buffeted. They were abused. They were mocked. They were marked and insulted. They were known as the disturber of the peace. Look at all the accusations against them. And you know, we haven't done anything like that to anybody. And yet we're marked with those as enemies to this world, but we're not enemies to this world. We just have separated from this world, but we want the world to have what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this text, we find the reproach that comes from sinners. But watch this in verse five. Things are about to pick up. The Savior appears. David didn't send a group of men to get these guys. The king came himself because the ambassadors, are you getting this? The ambassadors were hurting so greatly. David didn't send an entourage. He came himself. There's coming a glorious day, church, when the Savior is not going to send a secretary or an angel, but he's coming by himself for his ambassadors. And then he said, I'm going to put you over in Jericho. Jericho is the place of victory. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then he said, and when y'all get your beard grown out and you get over this shame and you enjoy victory over in Jericho, he uses the word and we'll return. We're coming back to this crowd. In that text is a picture of the rapture of the church. You say, I don't see it. That's the reason I'm preaching. (laughs) Chapter eight is Calvary. The grace of God given to the world, revealed to the world. Chapter nine, personally so. Chapter 10 involving us as the church who's going and telling. And then the king comes back again and gets his boys who've been shamed and ridiculed made fun of and become the offscouring of this world. And I'll tell you something else about King David. He takes it personally, everything that has been done against his people. He said, if you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. And so David puts them away. Puts them over on victory side. And the Bible said that the Moabites, the Ammonites, all them said, "Uh uh-oh, we have done something wrong. And there's two men. One is Joab, the general of David, and the other is his brother Abishai. Joab is to fight against the Syrians. Abishai is to fight against the Ammonites. In these verses following him, we find in verse six that brings us to a battle that's about to take place. We find that the word, 
The Syrians of Beth Rehob is there. Beth Rehob means the family of the broad way. The word Zoba means to station an army. The king Mekah means to be pressed. Ishtab means mighty men. A reference to Revelation chapter number 19 where the kings are going to fall and mighty men are going to fall in that great battle. Now Joab's name means Jehovah is the father. Abishai's name means the father has gifted us or given this to us. It is no accident that David says, Joab, you handle the Syrians. Abishai, you handle the Ammonites. Joab is going to fight the crowd that doesn't know who God is. And Joab's name means that the father is his name. But Abishai is going to fight against the Ammonites. And if you know anything about the history of the Ammonites, that's the crowd from an incestuous relationship of Lot. And they feel like they have rights to the land. And Abishai's name says, nope, the father has given this land unto his people. What do you find in Joab and Abishai? You find the battle of Armageddon, the very thing that will take place that will reveal the Antichrist, everything that is happening right now in Ukraine and in Russia is to clear out the Baltic Sea and to get all of the land for Russia so that they can come down for a spoil and a prey, the battle of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. That is not the battle of Armageddon. It's not even World War III. But every nation is listed in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Time would not permit. But I'm telling you, there's going to be a crowd of those Arabs and Muslims that says, we want that land, we want Israel. And they've been saying that. We're going to push them off in the Mediterranean Ocean. And Abishai says, I'll handle the Ammonites. Father's given this land. We'll fight the Ammonites who keep claiming the land is theirs. Joab says, I handle all the rest of them that don't even believe there's a God and the Father is his name. There's a battle that goes on. In this battle, after the battle is over, we find that there's another battle that is in this text. I'm not trying to pull 15 different things of typology. I'm not trying to bring, I'm not trying to break down everything. I'm just telling you, it's right here. All I gotta do is read it. When Joab and Abishai win, they go back to Jerusalem. There's three and a half years of false peace. Hadarezer is the one who's mentioned in this text as the one who in the end is going to be involved with the second battle, not the first. I read about the history of Hadarezer in chapter number 8 of 2 Samuel. 
And this is what the historian said. We don't know where Hadarezer came from. He just was able to overcome over a bunch of petty kings and he went, won them all over. Back at the first of the year, I started preaching on prophecy. And it was, and I'd done it several times over the years, but I did it during the Persian Gulf War back in 91. And, uh, and then on and on, we've done it. And then I've, you know, when Clinton was there, and then when Obama, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, but then when there was military exercises in the Indian Ocean with Iran and Russia and China began the first of the year dealing again with prophecy. And when that was going on, all of a sudden Russia invades the Ukraine. I read from the Wall Street Journal at the beginning of this battle, there were 16 points that was given in the Wall Street Journal that I find in the word of God concerning the Antichrist. Number one, this man can speak to every man. He's funny, he's serious, he's encouraging. He's a warning. He flatters his contemporaries to believe that they, not him, can do wonderful things. He rallies all nations to hear and respond and stand to his call and stand to his person. He produces comfort, courage, character in the multitudes by his very presence. He makes folks believe that he can do anything against all odds. His countrymen believe in him though his ancestry is from another country because he makes little of the fact that he is a Jew. He's fearless. He's empathetic. He understands. He's energetic. He can perform to cause you to believe anything. Number nine, he professes to be an outsider. He's a cause, and the cause has produced him. Number 10, his actions are based on a performance. He's an entertainer, or he might be real. He's a TV character or he's something. Number 11, he will have a global audience. Millions upon millions are watching him. He is known as the servant of the people. That's his own manufactured political party of which he has crushed all of the other 11 political parties in his country. He will be known, this is the Wall Street Journal, number 12, as a global hero, as a Jewish hero. His name means ruler of the world. And his other name, Zelensky, means peace. He is a globalist. His number is the number of man, for he is the sixth ruler of Ukraine. And for the first time in history, instead of the president of the United States known as the leader of the free world, a president in Ukraine is known as the leader of the free world. You say, who is that? The Lord's revealed to us time and time again anybody that he chooses to lift up and to put down, I'm not telling you anything. 
I'm just telling you that there's coming a glorious day that the Lord's coming back in. Do you know that, do you know that Zelensky, you know where he wanted him and Putin to have a detente or a truce? You know where he wanted to hold it at? Jerusalem. How close are we? I'm not telling you anything. I'm just telling you what I read. How close are we to the ambassadors getting out of here? Could it be tonight that that one who is yet to trust Christ says yes to the Savior and we're out of here? What a glorious day. But we go on. They got Joab and Abishai go back to Jerusalem and then they call for David. In that moment, verse 16, I had a reason is sent. The magnificent one is what he's called. Is that not a name for an antichrist? And here's Adarezer, the Bible says, in verse 16, and Adarezer sent and brought out the Syrians that were beyond the river. What river could it be? It has to be the river Euphrates of chapter number eight, the known world. And the river Euphrates is going to dry up, isn't it? So that the kings of the east will come. It is the will of God for China to be an outlier. It is the will of God for one day us to come together, though I don't like it, but it's in the plan of God that there's going to be a unified Western group of people that's going to be together and to be controlled by one individual and he's going to be the mouthpiece of Satan, but there's going to be an outlying country and that's going to be China. The Bible says in the book of Daniel that the Antichrist are here tidings from the north and tidings from the east and he'll go with great choler. That'll be the time when he's going to come and China's going to come down. But while they're getting ready to do some fighting because Satan can't hold it together, then there's one coming and his name is Jesus. And when he returns... He returns slow enough while this mud ball keeps turning and all of them make their way to the valley of Megiddo. Now, what am I saying tonight? Well, in this text, we find that Hadarezer comes up against David. And David is the one that is recorded as doing the battling here now, not Joab and Abishai, but David personally. And the Bible says in verse 18, and the Syrians fled before Israel. And David slew the men of 700 chariots of the Syrians and 40,000 horsemen and, and smote Shobak. Shobak means the pouring out of blood. Helam means a circular tornado or a force of men. Mekah means to be pressed. And there's one day that the wine press of the fierceness of the wrath of God will be poured out on this earth at the battle of Armageddon. The Bible says, and when all the kings that were servants to Hadarezer saw that they were smitten before Israel, they <laughs> made peace with Israel and served them. So the Assyrians, or so the Syrians, feared to help the children of Ammon anymore. When you don't do it anymore, 
That means that's the last thing done. When you don't do it anymore, that means that's the last battle that has taken place. We're talking about when Jesus comes to the throne room that uh, Brother Gravely was preaching about last night and when the Mount of Olives is split in the center and Israel sees him whom they pierced and there's going to come a time where all the nations of the world will fall at the feet of the Savior in this hour and there's going to be battles and warfare no more. Brother Ron, what are you talking about tonight? We're in the midst of a battle. We're in the midst of a warfare. But in the midst of the warfare, the battle is not going to come to us because God's going to take his ambassadors out before he lowers the broom on this world. And we'll be out of here. I want to be that the expectations of the king are before we get out of here that I would do all those things that the world says I'm guilty of doing. I want to make a difference in these last few days I have Amen. before I get out of here. Thank you, Brother Randy.